Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. Casey's the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. Just the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the CL Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan, and we have a bit of a different lineup today than normal. Uh, lots of, we have a it's, a, it's always a moving cast, but I think this collection quite possibly has never all recorded together. And certainly uh, a few of us have not been on for a while, including myself. So I'm gonna let everyone introduce themselves. And uh, so that way our listeners will have some visual or audio cues as it were, uh, who they're actually listening to. Uh, but anyway, I'm Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm the editor at Sounder at Heart. And uh, on my screen, and this is how we're gonna do it, is uh, to my left is, is I'll let Casey introduce himself. This is Casey, uh, mostly do tactics at Sounder at Heart. And then we got Ari. Ari Lillianwall, MLSsoccer.com content guy is my official title, I think. Content guy. And then Mickey. Uh, Yeah, Mickey Turner, uh, Sounder at Heart, uh, kind of do a little bit of everything, practice notes, talking points, recaps, uh, podcasts, and... In my spare time, I find the time to do a little bit of lawyering, uh, but mostly you, sports. And Mickey, you've had some, not necessarily Sounders related, but it was an exciting week in the world of legal MLS. Uh, oh, with- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it, was, uh, it was a heck of a, uh, a week, um, and it kind of, I guess, leads into the RSL game, so we yeah. can probably talk a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, Delo Hansen, RSL owner, or former, or soon to be former RSL owner, uh, stepped down last week uh, after some uh, very controversial comments. Uh, and I would say more controversial behavior uh, yeah. really is what did him in. Uh, once that athletic story came out about his, uh, you know, his hostile work environment, and it's gotten even worse after he left. So I don't think this story is going away. But in any case, he's uh, no longer going to be the owner. And we've got a bunch of people angling to come in and take his, uh, take his ownership stake. And MLS, because as, as most people know, uh, people do not own teams. They own percentages of MLS who then operate teams. But yeah, it was pretty crazy, uh, you know, just kind of how it started with him complaining about the protests last, uh, last week and led to him being ousted, or I guess it was two weeks ago, and then led to him being ousted uh, last Sunday. So yeah, uh, lots, lots of stuff going on, which was kind of unexpected, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah, you, know, you talk about how things escalate quickly. Uh, that went from, you know, I don't, think Delo- I don't think RSL clearly was ever a happy family behind the scenes. You know, we would hear rumblings. I, I mean, I'd oh, never yeah. heard anything to this extent. You could just read the tea leaves of, you know, a lot of longtime employees had been leaving. And, uh, and there was all these rumblings of Deloitte running the, the team in a way that didn't seem to fit the, uh, you know, kind of the MLS progressive ideal, uh, which well, yeah, may be just, a myth in itself, but. Yeah, well, just, uh, you know, before we move on to the uh, the game, uh, you know, remember when Mike Petke, the former uh, head coach, sued the team uh, for wrongful termination. Again, Petke hardly uh, has much of a, a standing to claim the victim here, but in as much as he does, uh, it was Deloy Hansen who was alleged to have been behind kind of some of the retaliation and uh, just some of the negative behavior. And, you know, that's where some of this stuff started to really come out. And then, you know, that case got settled and then things were kind of quiet. But uh, I think it was always bubbling beneath the surface and then obviously uh, exploded over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, what started off as some very uh, ill-advised comments about the protests turned into accusations of like, actually this guy uses racist language all the time to actually they run a completely uh, toxic work environment. And all of a sudden, uh, not only is Deloitte Hansen promising to divest himself of the team, but uh, the, the head of the business operations is also 
stepping away while a formal investigation goes down into and it'll be interesting to see how all, the, all that comes down do you without we'll, we'll move on into the actual games uh shortly but mickey do you have any sense of of how quickly a sale might happen and do you have any sense of like who might be in the running for for buying that team just based on my uh understanding of how the uh the columbus cruise sale worked we're looking at at least six months before we get any finalization uh and even when that new ownership group was announced in columbus uh which i think it was in like november of 2019 or 19 i can't it's all blurring together at this point i think it's 2019 but they didn't they still didn't announce a final sale until about three or four months later after the announcement of you know of the group so uh and this just happened so I don't see there's any way we're going to get some announcement uh, for at least six months. I mean, it just, that's the way MLS works. It has nothing to do with the controversy. It's just MLS is a very complex organization and getting people in and out of it uh, is just never easy. So I think it's going to be a while. They may announce some tentative ownership group has come forward, but the final, you know, you know, contract signing and getting him out of there is going to take a while because it just does. Yeah, so that was all the the backdrop of what was going on when the Sounders traveled to RSL this week, yesterday, on Wednesday, for a game that on paper looked pretty challenging, I think. Uh, RSL hasn't been necessarily a great team this year, but they've not been an easy out for anyone either. Uh, But even more than that, the Sounders had been riding an eight-game losing streak, which I was honestly surprised by it. I thought like there's no way they've lost eight straight games in Salt Lake City and I was kind of racking my brain and I was like oh what about that time they tied 0-0 where Mao missed a, a sitter off a Cordell Cato cross that was 2012 <laughs> apparently uh, so that was the last time the Sounders had gotten a point in 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 RSL in a in a regular season game anyway they of course won that game that they played there in the playoffs that year, but it hadn't been since 2012. 2012 was the last time they had gotten a result in any MLS competition. They did get a, a U.S. Open Cup. They won a shootout in a 2016 U.S. Open Cup game there. But man, this has been like the Sounders' personal house of horrors, and they've had some absolutely awful performances there. Uh, I want to say they lost 3-0 two. It was it last two years in a row. Maybe it was 2-0 one year and 3-0 another year. But they've just been getting smashed at RSL, and it always seems like. They come into these games in the as like a midweek, or they're mm-hmm. they're suffering a bunch of injuries, or there's a bunch of international absences, and it seems like they never come into these games full strength. And that is so it's kind of a quirk of the schedule, I think, that that leads to these eight straight losses. But this is MLS; no one loses to anyone eight straight times. Uh, but here we were, the Sounders going in there, and and they get a two-two tie. The Sounders led twice in the game; they got a penalty early. Then they, they gave up a, a set-piece goal. Then they get a great goal on a Alex Roldan cross to Jamar backpost header. And then just an absolute smash from Pablo Ruiz to uh, that deflects slightly off of Jamar's head to tie it late. And, uh, and then the, in the between, though, the Sounders, of course, had a, a goal ruled out for offside that was maybe a little tight, but uh, we, we can talk about that later. But what overall... I mean, what are your guys' impressions? 2-2, you lead twice. Is it more of a, a disappointment to drop the points, or is it more of a relief just to get any points, especially considering the Sounders started in a 5-4-1, five changes from the, from the week before. Hondwal, Buana, Jordi Delem, Nuhu, Javier Arriaga, and, of course, Alex Roldan all starting this game. Uh, just, yeah, I don't know. If you, what are your thoughts in terms of points dropped versus points gained? Well, going going into the game, you know, if you would if you had told me the result ahead of time and that the Sounders would be leaving there two two, I, I probably would have said uh, the Sounders would have been pretty pretty thrilled with that because of everything that you just mentioned, the recent struggles that they've had there. Um, but based on how the game actually went, and Brian Schmetzer said this after the game, uh, he saw it as two points dropped because they led twice. And, you know, when Ruiz hit that goal, it was like the 85th or the 86th minute. So they were just a few minutes from getting out of there with all three. And I think you could, you could argue that would have been a deserved result. But as far as my overall impressions of the game, I thought it was just a really, it was a really entertaining game. Um, It was fun to watch. 
uh, I was on uh, Freddie Juarez's conference call after the game too, and he was kind of breaking down just the, the tactical chess match that went on with the Sounders coming out in the five-man back line and how – uh, the RSL coaches adjusted to that by bringing in uh, Giuseppe Rossi. And then, you know, the Sounders adjusted their adjustments, bringing on like uh, bringing on Jordan Morris and making their substitutions. So it was interesting to watch how all that played out. And the game itself was really entertaining. But as far as the Sounders feelings on it, I, I feel like it's a game that they're definitely going to feel like they could have and should have won. I mean, that's that's a one in a hundred hit that uh that Rossi gets right there so you know you could say that they might have been a little unlucky in that respect but then also RSL probably could have had at least a couple more if not for Stefan Fry just standing on his head and having well he's had a lot of really good games over the last couple years but that see the the flurry of saves that he came up with some of those were just ridiculous so maybe 2-2 in the end was actually a fair result. So Casey, what are your what do you, what do you come away feeling as far as tactically out of that five four one? Did you see things they can build off of? Yeah, I mean, I think Alex rolled on as a right wing back. That's a solid spot for him because you probably have to think defensively. That's going to be where his struggle is for the year. So you get a little extra cushion behind him. And then, I mean, his crossing quality. I was thinking about this today. Very good. You, you could argue he's, and I would say I would argue he's the best attacking second string right back we've had in a under in a long time <laughs> uh, yeah, i think he's, he's better be... than mccrary going forward yeah. i think he's better than uh, abdul going forward so i think when you can put him in the wing back spot that's a good spot for him i think the jury's still out defensively but so i thought that was really encouraging um getting the three best center backs in a line together was nice to see and it seemed okay Knew who had the left wing back. He was solid. He's locked down. I had some concern. Okay, well, if you're expecting to get more offense out of him, and that's not really his strength. But they didn't really need it in the end. So, yeah, I thought overall that's a, that's a good look the team can go back to. And for me, it's a, it's a point gained, no question, just going back to the first. Because I think from a coach's perspective, you have to message us two points lost just so you can drive that home to your team. <laughs> Yeah. 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 You don't want to, I guess when you're a coach, you don't want to be selling. I know you guys blew two leads. Yeah. Let's be happy about that. Well, Schmetzer, Schmetzer even said, you know, I'm not unhappy with the fact that we got this point on the road, but the message has to be that the game needs to be closed out with a lead with that little time left. So I think he, he even acknowledged that he understands that the result on paper is a good one, but it's just, it's the principle of the matter. If you're up two one in the 85th, that game needs to be all three points. You know, I like, I, I just think that was such a crazy goal. I don't know. Did it, did you guys see if it took a deflection? It I got did. I definitely did. Well, then I got correctly razzed in my recap for not uh, mentioning that. I, people, I'm writing those things pretty fast. I'm not always uh, going over every little <laughs> minutiae of the replay. It's uh, still an extraordinary I mean, it's strike. Still, it's still a great hit. And like, I don't, you know, may, could they have closed him out quicker or better? Maybe, but I don't really know if there's much you can do right there. Yeah. Yeah, I would say for me, I uh, someone asked me uh, who I was watching, uh, the group I was watching the game with, what I what I thought of the game or what I thought the, a good result would be. I was like, I saw the lineup and I was like, this a tie would be a great result yeah, uh, coming into this zero, game. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, they've as you said, Jeremiah, they've never – uh, they haven't played well in Salt Lake in almost a decade. Uh, I've been there for a couple of those blowouts. They are not particularly fun to watch, uh, especially when they're in the playoffs. Um, and it's just a tough place to play. And, you know, RSL was good for a number of years. They're still pretty good. They may have had a little bit of a lull, but as you you know, that probably the Sounders' poor performances, even when Salt Lake wasn't at the best, was probably due to lineup rotation or just kind of the, you know, quirkiness of MLS. Um, and yeah, so uh, start of the game, you think a tie is great. And then you get to the 84th minute or so, and you, you've got to think that they can close that game out because the way they played uh, and were set up, they were pretty effective uh, defensively, except for on set pieces, which is probably something we can talk about um, because a number of the chances that they gave up were off, uh, you know, corners and uh, various other free kicks. 
and they had a you know a devil of a time um, bodying up with Justin Glad, um, who had a couple of those uh, chances that Fry saved. And yeah, when you get that number of chances, uh, one of them's usually going to get away, even though Fry maybe should have had that one. He should, you know, they probably should have had three others. So on balance, you know, I'm not too um, concerned about how uh, Fry's performance. I just, and, and as far as the set piece defending, it kind of reminded me of the Dallas playoff game uh, when they gave up a number of uh, set piece uh, chances to their, uh, to Dallas's center backs. And, you know, that's basically how they almost got knocked out of uh, MLS, uh, you know, playoffs last year. So uh, that's something that can be resolved, I think. Um, after that Dallas game, the Sounders are pretty good on set pieces and just gen defending generally. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of one of those games. Uh, Got to give some credit to Salt Lake for how they, how they performed. Um, and so, you know, in the end, I, was, I said I was going to be happy with a point gained after the game. So it feels a little inconsistent to say that I'm upset about it now. You, you know, yeah. you, you mentioned the set pieces and it's, and it's funny the way, you, you know, you, you go back to that Dallas game and I had kind of forgotten about that. And it's funny because the Sounders seem to be on the whole pretty good defensively on set pieces, but then all of a sudden they have these like horror games where they can't mark up on set pieces and it's like all of a sudden they're giving up three or four chances when they'll go weeks without giving up any chances. I am not like I've ever been a high level player or a, or a coach. Casey, is this something that is like, is there something to this where it's like you just get, uh, it gets in your head or what's going on with all, like how do you explain this where this is a good defensive team and then all of a sudden they give up like five chances on set pieces? Yeah, I think the more you have rotation uh, in the lineup, and particularly with your center backs, I, I think that that can, can put a lot of pressure on the situation because it's just an assignments thing. Uh, and I think even last year, that, that team last year throughout the whole season was rotated so much, yeah. almost right up into the playoffs. We finally got a little bit of security. But, I mean, I remember us giving up, I think it was maybe against New England, we gave up a bad yeah. set-piece goal or two. Two of them. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like sort of the same thing where we were rotating the center backs and all these other things. So I think in the long run, it'll get cleared up, especially because Schmetzer's a coach who is going to preach the dirty work. So I, I, the only other reason you get caught on set pieces is being asleep, and I don't think that's something that Schmetzer will tolerate or, or will just let slide under the radar. So I think it's a very fixable problem. But it is a problem because going back to MLS's back, the goal we gave up on the Chicago set piece yeah, was, was horrendous. That was one of the worst because it was multiple players. Yeah, I think it might have bounced on the six-yard box, which is like – went all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. As that's like for me as a lower-level select coach, that's like unacceptable. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but I, think, I do think they'll get that worked out. Yeah, it was – you know, it, it was a funny game because, you know, you look at the stats and – you know, I was a little surprised that Sounders only had five shots in that game, which is, like, very low. But they all the shots they had felt like were reasonably good chances. I mean, Rui Diaz had a had a chance on a on a on a really w well worked set piece that was a shame that it didn't come off. Uh, it was like a free kick to from Ladeo, I want to say to Christian Roldan, and then it was Delem. Are you talking about the one where Delem was running, charging up, and they hit him, and then he sent the pass in? Oh, maybe. There's one. Well, there yeah. was there was a few. I mean, the Sounders. I thought they created. My point being, they created some good chances. Um, the best of the one that just killed. And I think this is the other thing. The reason that the the loss sticks in my craw a little bit is they had that great play where Ladero finds Morris slipping in behind the defense. He puts in just a perfect first touch cross to Rui Diaz, who just crushes it into the net. And I and it's like game over. They're up three one, and then the flag goes up. And then the thing, the killer of it is like the replay sucks and you can't really tell for sure whether or not he's offside or not. I'm willing to accept that he was offside, but it just, I think it's when you, when you, when you work a play like that, that it gets blown off and the Sounders, I thought generally looked pretty good going forward. They, you know, I don't think they had a lot of possession. It, they obviously didn't have a lot of shots, but they created chances and they kept Utah. Uh, they kept Salt Lake uh, honest and they, they were, you know, I don't know. I just thought it was a well tactically, uh, a game that was put together well tactically. Um, 
but it was yeah i don't know I, I don't know where i was going with this except for it was just a shame that they didn't get a result out of this they rotate this heavy rotation and it just comes off perfectly in in so many ways um but i i guess overall i'm just encouraged that we've now seen three straight games where the sounders had you know they've, they've played three games now since mls is back ended and they've done something different in all three games in the first game yeah. They, they faced a team that was really just kind of sitting back and they had to, you know, they had to take the game to the Timbers. Then they had a game against LAFC who was intent on pressing the whole time and they just beat the press. And then obviously a very different game on the road. Um, you know, are how encouraged are you by their overall play this? I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm like really impressed by the way they've looked in these last three games. Yeah, I think overall, I mean, Two two zero and one, and they could have they could have had all three of them, but like you said, it's more about the way that they've done it. Like you know, going back to this game for a second, I was pretty impressed with how the five four one ended up working out. Like when I saw that before the game, I was just like, oh, I don't I don't know if that's gonna work because uh, so everyone always talks about the Toronto game like a couple years ago where they did the a similar thing and they won. I they won that. Yeah, Ikram to, to Bruin, that, that famous game. So the, so they got the 2-1 win in Toronto, kind of trying the same idea. But my mind, when I saw that, went to a game at RSL either – I think it was two years ago where they, they did that. They did the five-man back line in a rotated lineup away at RSL, and they just got smashed off. Yeah. So I was like, is this just winding up for a repeat? But I think a big difference – I don't think – Maybe Ladero played in that game, but they were down a lot of starters. They at least had Ladero and Rui Diaz out there for this game. So with the rotation that they did have, I mean, that's two of your most important guys. So I'm, I'm sure that – starting center – and, like, I think the, the big yeah. part of it to me also is that you have all three of your center backs. You're not mm-hmm. – you know, like, I feel like a lot of those games where they had three-man – Yes. Cent- three center backs, it was like Johnny Campbell, <laughs> yeah. uh, Roman Torres, and yes. – uh, uh, I can't remember who it was in Toronto, but either way, I mean, that, so that type of result in Salt Lake is that's, you have to be able to get those on the road. Um, usually you're gunning just to be happy with a point from those, but they could have had all three, but if you look at it on the whole, I mean, Portland, LAFC and Salt Lake, those are, Portland and Salt Lake are two very solid teams in the West, in my opinion. Portland's struggling a little bit right now, but they, they just won the tournament, and they're always a factor. And LAFC is the best team of all time in any league that's ever Everyone existed. Plays. So, like, to be able to beat them like that, even at home, is is very impressive, too. But in all, seri- I, in all seriousness, what, <laughs> they did win what I'm one saying, yesterday. It's, it's not like they were just – you know, beaten up on, on some cellar dwellers. They were, uh, they had three really hard games in this stretch and they went 2-0-1 and could have won all three. So I think you have to look at that as a positive haul. You know, I, I, but I do understand why, you know, everyone's annoyed at that, at that last goal um, from taking all three points. But um, they played well in the game and they've, they've really been playing well since, since the restart, I think. Yeah, I, and you also have to take into account they've won two of those games on the road, uh, which is which is obviously very important. They're going to get some home games here coming up, where they can hopefully, uh, you know, really extend, uh, you know, their their position at the top of the Western Conference. Um, and yeah, again, you just it's frustrating, and I understand that the last goal, Ari, as you say, uh, you know, is kind of annoying in the way that it was given up, but it was just a, it was a really good hit. And I've struggled to really complain about the closeout or the lack of a closeout. I mean, that, it was a good header clear. Um, yeah. If you had the ball out to, you know, 25 to 30 yards out. Okay, fine. I mean, if the guy's going to whack it from there and even if it does take a deflection, I mean, you just got to give the guy some credit uh, sometimes. Um, so yeah, I'm, you know, again, yeah, it would have been great to have all three points in that game, but all things considered, you win, uh, you win two games, uh, you get two results on the road. 
Uh, you've got two home games here coming up against teams that are struggling to say the least right now um, in San Jose and uh, Portland. And you got to figure if you can get those two uh, results and maybe get something down in LA when that game is rescheduled, uh, you're in really good position at that point. You're probably like in the top, the top of the West and competing for a supporter shield um, for whatever that's worth this year. Yeah. My, I totally agree with that. I think they're playing super well. And my big takeaway from this string of matches is we finally got to see JP and Ladero take the field together yeah. going back a few games. And I think that is super massive to what Jeremiah was saying before, where we've been able to win different ways. So we were able to take it to Portland a little bit. I'm still honestly fairly conservative, but yeah, we had more of the ball and that's, you know, we can trust JP in the middle of the park that if Portland's going to sit back and try to prey on your mistakes, he's going to be really tidy on the ball for the most part. Um, conversely, against LAFC, you can trust JP is probably going to be able to get you out of a, some tight situations in the middle of the park. And then you have Ladero, and they can interchange a little bit and, again, get you out of tight situations. And one thing that I forgot to mention when you asked me tactically about RSL, I thought it was super interesting that he played – um, in their 5-4-1, Ladero next to Svensson and Roldan out on the wing. And I actually thought that was a super positive move because Ladero gives you a little bit more of that, like, metronome, tempo-setting feel. And it seems like now that JP is established, Metzger's saying, hey, let's try to get this week in, week out, even when we are rotating. We'll let Roldan go be dynamic and run on the wings. And so – the fact that we did the 5-4-1, but we had a bit more of a playmaker in the center of the park, that was like a new wrinkle to the 5-4-1 that I was very excited to see. Because when we do the 5-4-1 in like DeLam and Svensson or something, like that's – love those players, but that's kind of brutal uh, in build-out play. Right. Yeah, it was um, – it was. I was curious to see how that would play because I, I want to say they actually made it they, – they tried to say it, it was like a 3-4-3, which – no way that was a three-point-three. Yeah, you could see the line of five and four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, but it did seem like the, the fullbacks were – especially Nuhu, like he was looking more like a winger like a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost the same formation. It, like, depends. Are you going forward or defending, you know? Right. I mean, I, I, my, more of my point is, like, the, like, Roldan and Buana were not playing as forwards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> That's definitely yeah. true. Yeah. Like – um, and I know that sometimes with a five-four-one, you kind of end up with a diamond midfield, um, and that didn't quite it, like it wasn't. I don't. I don't know. Did you, did it feel like they were like where were? And I feel like the Sounders have kind of done that before, where it's basically uh, it, it like the five-four-one sets up where you got a forward and then you got Ladero kind of as a second forward almost, and he's kind of roaming around. But this game, he wasn't – I didn't think he was really doing that as much. It was it was really – I mean, Roldan and, and Buana were, were kind of the more forward players uh, of the of the attack, and I thought that provided some support as well. It wasn't just Rui Diaz on an island and then getting a little bit of support from Ladero. No, for sure. I think normally – I'd be surprised if we ever started Ladero centrally in a 5-4-1 game. I would be surprised. Yeah, I can't yeah. say for sure, but I think normally he would be deployed as whatever, if you want to call it 3-4-3, 5-4-1, like one of the two guys rolling right. next to the striker. And, yeah, I thought it was a lot more dynamic to have him in the middle of the park and then have Roldan and Buana support than, than ha yeah. even having Roldan back there. I don't know. Yeah, it was an, it was an interesting setup, and I don't think – it felt like it played differently than – you know, like the game that always sticks in my mind, you know, you guys mentioned some of those other three-back games, but the one that sticks in my mind oftentimes is that Philadelphia game. Yes. 0-0, zero, zero, and they got, like, outshot 18-1 to one or some serious, some <laughs> insane thing like that. And um, and that was just, like, that was completely set up to just get a point, and it was never – there was never really a, a, a goal of, of winning that game, whereas this one I felt like they – they did. They did look like they they made a, an honest effort for it, and I think especially what you saw is in the sub pattern. Like yeah. by the end of the game, yeah. Melvin Leardom, Jao Paulo, Will Bruin, uh, Jordan Morris, and who am I forgetting? Joven. And Joven. Yeah, Joven. Yeah. Arguably, all kind of five. You know, aggressive subs, and they were all. You know, and I think that's also what made the result so disappointing is that 
by the end of the game, they had gotten all their starters onto the field. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's why Schmetzer was uh, so annoyed with it is because it was all set up there and it, it, it worked. Everything worked perfectly. Exactly. Right. Down to getting the subs in to close it out and they couldn't quite do it. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I get that for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it, – I, I did think that they the subs did not change the game as much as they you know you'd like to see them considering who they were bringing on when they were bringing him on other than that sequence where morris almost set up rui diaz they they didn't create as much danger as i kind of would have thought they would have yeah that's kind of where i was uh where I, my takeaway from the end of the game was, is that, I mean, yeah, sure, they didn't do anything to, to mess up the game, and you wouldn't have expected them to, um, but they didn't put their foot on the on the gas and really run over RSL as you thought that they would have, bringing in that caliber of talent against tired legs, yeah. Um, and yeah, they just weren't quite able to get that gear moving, and then you give up, you know, something of a wonder strike. Uh, that just all leads you to believe, well, yeah, it was disappointing for that reason. And I, you know, I can see Smetcher's annoyance and the fan base's annoyance, even though, again, most everyone would have taken a point uh, at, at the start of the game. You know, there was, there was a funny little, I'm just kind of bringing this up. There was a funny little moment. I was watching the tape of the post-game interview, which, which I missed most of. And uh, Jamar was asked, like, did that ball hit your head? And he's like, well, yeah, I headed it into the goal. <laughs> and it was like, wait, no, we're talking about different things, Jamar. Uh, it, but uh, he's like, I didn't, it didn't just scrape my head. I poured that thing into the goal. But uh, anyway, that was like just a, another funny little element from that game. Jamar's um, a treasure. I just feel like know, throwing that out that. there. I think I got a new favorite. I feel like he's a fan favorite moving forward. The fact, I think I tweeted this. But he will just physically abuse someone, but not with a scary face. No, just with a little, a little sly grin. <laughs> and it's like sometimes you're so big you don't even have to be mean. Right. Yeah, he's, he's a specimen in a way that even Roman Torres uh, wasn't. Right. I mean, Torres obviously had the uh, the the size, but Yemar's got you know slightly less size, but is just you know kind of a freak athlete. And you know obviously the smile that he he plays with is gonna you know endear <laughs> to a lot of fans. So yeah, I I could absolutely see that. I was thinking. I was thinking about this. Like, when's the last time a Sounders center back headed in a goal like that that wasn't Chad Marshall? Like, Ooh, okay. Oh, actually, you know, it's funny you bring that up. You, oh, I, I at one point last year, Torres Torres had one. I just remember. Yeah, against ah, Minnesota, okay. last You're game right. of the year. Yeah, but uh, aside from that, yeah, John, so, Johnny Camps against Dortmund. That was, well, Johnny. Yeah, if you want to count Sorry. that one. But you would have to go – you had to go – I at one point was – and I think I brought this up when Torres scored. But the last time – and that wasn't on a – I want to say the last time a center back scored on a corner that wasn't – or that wasn't a corner either in this game. But uh, in any case, you, you do – you had to go back to like 2014 or something to find the last time that a non uh, – that not Chad Marshall had scored – a center back other than Chad Marshall had scored for the Sounders you know, the Torres goal. So it was the season finale of last year? Yeah, it was the season finale against Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still wild, because how many goals do you think Chad scored in that time? Like 10. Yeah, a lot. Be close like, to he, 10. Did, he did that all the time. I guess that's kind of the, the – Right. That question is, like, Chad Marshall, for, you know, everything he did, did defensively, which is amazing. He was such – like a, he added such an X factor with his aerial ability and ability to score off set pieces. And without him, they, like, you know, Torres got the one, but he, he wasn't really known for that. So maybe maybe Amar kind, kind of replaced some of yeah. that in addition to what he brings on defense. Well, it's funny because I think the Sounders have had plenty of, like, good – center backs that you like Torres the fact that Torres only scored once before he came here that was like I mean for, he, first of all he had that great like goal for Panama that sent him to the World Cup but he has like a ton of goals that in his career outside of Seattle and then in Seattle he just never could really get on the end of one um, seemed like he got close all the time yeah, yeah he exactly. would get really close all the time and exactly barely miss but uh Jamar definitely looked like he knew what he was doing Ariaga 
had scored some pretty decent goals in Ecuador too, but uh, I don't know if we're going to see if that's going to come through or not. <laughs> Who knows? It's a wild card. He might have scored a hat trick next game. Right, exactly. Exactly. So you guys have any, any takes on uh, Portland coming up? They have been, I don't know how to put this eloquently, absolute shit on defense uh, for the, for the, since the, since the tournament, I like, they have been awful. They've given up, I think three goals every game. They gave up three to Sounders. They gave up four to RSL and they gave up three last night to the galaxy. Yeah. They're shipping, they're shipping goals. Like it's their job right now. Um, the RSL game was particularly bad because they were, I mean, as annoyed as the Sounders fans might be at how that result went last night, the Portland RSL game, Portland was up 4-2 in, in, in the 90th minute, in second half stoppage time, and they just shipped two goals and, uh, and gave, gave that one away. Um, so, home. yeah, they're definitely, they're definitely struggling right now. I mean, if there's an opportunity for the Sounders to really lay an arm, I think that this would be it. They just beat them 3-0, and they're looking really suspect at the back right now. So, I mean – they have to feel like they can exploit that coming in. I mean, that said, you have to think that – I would think that Portland will get it together at some point. I can't imagine they're just going to be playing like this all season, and I'm sure they're going to be just drilling it to bits leading up to the game. They know that they need to play better in this one. So I don't, I don't think it's going to pan out like uh, the type of thing where the Sounders are just running wild scoring at will. But, I mean, they should certainly – try for that you have them at home and they're and they're down right now so i think that's a good strategy too yeah Uh, yeah well i mean i mean like you know don't don't hold back at all (laughs) yeah i'll let casey talk about kind of the uh, the tactics tactics of the game but just you know it should be noted that this series the sounders in portland at least in the last couple of years has seen the home team lose yeah what's with that quite a bit of quite a number of the games over the last two or three years um, and so for that reason alone is obviously a, a, you want to cast a worry eye on the game, but um, you know, the, their form has just been just pretty awful defensively. Um, as you noted, just all the goals they've given up. I've not been that as high on them as some others I have been uh, just their personnel, especially on defense. I just, I just thought was not, not very good. And they didn't do much of a job of replacing uh, the mediocre players that they had before. Uh so, yeah, again, but again, this is a rivalry game, even with no fans. It's just – and with the recent spate of results that each team has gotten on the road, um, it's certainly, again, a reason why you don't want to take this game lightly. Uh, but I think, obviously, the Sounders sh- should win. Yeah, I think they're the better team. I, I have absolutely relished Portland's mini downfall. I p- – particularly in the bubble tournament, I thought – Portland and Minnesota got a lot of praise for playing some really boring defensive soccer that worked against teams that weren't firing off cylinders and they could just take advantage of their mistakes. And I was just watching that tournament going, A, this is boring to watch, and B, I don't think it's going to last once teams actually start getting their offensive schemes together. I'm not an expert on the Timbers roster, but when we played them last year, I thought Maria, I don't know if that's how you say his name, the the right right back was the, their best player on the field a few times. I've, I've heard he had some defensive issues, but and I, and I think the guy, he was really good service going forward. And, yeah, I just thought he was a really good player. And you replace him with, a, I, th- I think, sort of like a guy who went to college, journeyman in the MLS, who played really well. So give him his due in the MLS back tournament. But I just think law of averages, that's going to start to play out. I think that, you know, maybe they're trying to – construct how they want to play a little more on the front foot because you'd think eventually they're going to have to figure that out if they want to be a good team and I think then that leaves them exposed at the back because they spent the whole tournament defending that now if they try to go forward it's like what are they going to do so I think the Sounders are the better team but that said Portland's a boogie team especially coming up to Century League yes the Sounders I want to say the Sounders won the second meeting in Century Link last year but before that they had they had failed to get the result they needed uh, three straight times. Like they hadn't lost all three of those games, but like I, I refuse to count that, that game in the 2018 playoffs as a loss when they, when they won three to two. So 
I know that this has been a point of contention in the Sounder Heart Slack room whether or not that should count as a loss. But I contend that it they won the game. I mean, this yeah, the series counts as a loss and the game counts as a win. I feel like that's pretty simple. They were the better team over 90 minutes in that game. Who, the Sounders? Yeah, I thought. Over 120 minutes. Over 120 minutes. And whatever. We don't have to. That was a painful game. <laughs> it's a painful yeah, it, game. As it, soon as Kim Kihi started playing right back because the rotation was screwed, I was like, this is – things are getting out of hand in this game. But yeah, it, the Sounders have not had an easy time with Portland in Seattle lately. And and that is – I mean, I, I that is some – I don't know if that's a reason for – that feels more like a statistical quirk, just like the Sounders' three straight wins in – Portland is probably a little bit of a statistical quirk, but it uh, it'll be interesting. I, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to the game. Uh, one thing I'm curious, Mickey and Ari, you guys were both at the game on what last Sunday, yeah, and I was there too. Uh, it was kind of a weird thing. There was no fans, but they opened the press box, and so there was like 20 of us in the press box, and then they had photographers down in the in the stands shooting. What did you make of uh, of that whole experience? Just being in a press box. It was in the middle of a pandemic. And then, of course, in RSL, they have actual fans there. So, I don't know. Maybe it felt – I don't know. What did you guys think? Well, it was, it was good to be back and, you know, see everybody, even though we were all – Socially distanced. Socially distanced. And it was, it was good to just be back century – But I mean, the atmosphere, experience, the atmosphere and the crowd and everyone going crazy after goals or, you know, reacting to a foul call that they disagree with and all that. So, yeah, definitely eerie and just all around not the same experience as as it is when everyone can be there. Um, but, you know, I... It, it, it was from a personal perspective. It was nice to watch live soccer again. I guess that that was that was the positive takeaway. But you know, it's just it's not going to be the same until we can get people back in the building. So hopefully that's sooner rather than later. Who knows? You know the yeah. thing that that I'll let you get into this real fast, Mickey. But I just wanted to point out the thing that got me more than like the goal because there was still like fake cheering after the goals and all that kind of stuff. The thing that got me every time was like on a close chance for either team, there was no like audible sigh or yeah. like sense of relief. It was just like silence. And and that was to me the part that was kind of more weird was when something would almost happen. But go ahead, Mickey. Uh, yeah, as I already said, it was good to be back. Uh, good to see uh, people uh, in, the, in the press box. Uh, you know, it was, it was sterile. Um, I think that's the best way I could I could put it. Um, watching the game itself was as interesting as it always uh, was, uh, as you talk about, you know, missed chances, uh, there were goals, obviously. Um, and so from that perspective, it, it, it felt the same, but there were obviously no fans in the, in the stadium um, and the cheers were manufactured. Um, and so it just was sterile is the best way I can put it. Uh, and that said, I, you know, enjoyed being back. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. fake crowd on the topic of the fake crowd noise. I, I don't know if I have a false memory of this, so maybe you guys can verify it. Um, but and it, it wasn't backed up when I watched the highlights, but I have this memory of after one of Jordan Morris's goals, they like didn't have the fake crowd noise go right away and they set it off like five seconds later. So it just looked like he scored and, and no one cared. And then like five seconds later, the, the crowd goes wild. <laughs> I, 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 that. I had the exact same memory. I 100% know that that's I, – I think I even tweeted out that they were – there was a little bit of a delay. Like, right after he scored, there was nothing. And then yeah. and then the crowd went. <laughs> and I thought it was funny if they did the call and repeat thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't know if that came off on the broadcast. I haven't gone back and actually watched the broadcast yet. But it was – there was, like, some funny little quirks about the way that the crowd – like, the crowd noise wasn't – it was like both not as in your face as I feared, but also more fake than I, like it felt like it just never felt like 
like I don't know what the right way to put it is. Like, it never felt real, which I guess is unrealistic to think it was going to do. But, like, for instance, I think, like, for the last five minutes of the first half, it just stopped playing entirely. And it was, like, there was no, like, the reactions weren't vibing the way that, you know, usually when you watch it on TV, they sync it up in, a like, a FIFA-esque kind of way where uh, it's, like, I don't know if it's AI or if it's someone controlling it or how they do it, but it it never felt like it was in sync like the crowd was just noise and it was it, they would cheer after a goal but it wasn't like there was oohs and ahs on plays and i feel like that's stuff that i've heard before the other thing that i thought was kind of funny was like all of a sudden like there were no audible songs during the whole thing and then all of a sudden in the 74th minute they played born in 74 very clearly and i don't know if that was like on purpose or what the if that was designed um I, I did see a few ECS people not particularly pleased by that. I don't know if that was a wide, I, I don't know if how widespread that emotion was, but I think it was cool that the ECS put up a ton of signage in the Braum end. And I think that gave it kind of an organic sense of like the fans are still have some presence here. I have a question for you guys who are there. Did, were you able to hear the communication at all on the field with no fans there because the glass was that shut out? No. Yeah, no, you can't see. That's what I was going to say is uh, I actually, at the bubble tournament, I actually liked the games more without the crowd noise yes. and like hear what they're saying on the field, which I, I think that's like an interesting part of the game that you wouldn't normally get to be primed to. Uh, so I love those games where you can hear the players yelling at each other and what they're saying to the refs and all that. Uh, I don't really mind fake crowd noise either, but I, I thought that was a really cool thing, and I didn't really like it for the broadcast games. But to answer your question, Casey, no, I, I mean, I couldn't hear anything on the field from the Dang, refs. Because I think that would be like – that would kind of make up for it for me if I was there. But I, I'm pretty sure that against Chicago I heard Schmetzer say – <laughs> we need someone like Victor <laughs> to come inside and make this pass. And I was like, what a fun insight that I'm sure he wasn't super happy he came on to the broadcast. <laughs> but I really enjoyed uh, And just as a fun aside, what can I do to pay somebody to get in NBA and MLS uh, talk from the players unbleeped live? Because I'm, you know, I'm ready. I feel like there should be an opt-in yeah. option. Yeah, there should be like a, a NC-17 yeah. like station that just brought – like it has like a really turned up field mic and like everything is just right there for you. I mean, they, I let, they let a lot slip in Orlando. There, there's a lot of F-bombs that made it through. And yeah. it was great. I loved every one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was – I don't know. I, I think I, I'll give the Sounders credit for trying to create – a atmosphere that felt normal um and i and i think from a press perspective i appreciated the the measures that they took uh you know we you know to just tell you how how the process was is like we all had assigned times that we were supposed to get there we had to do a, a this they had a really fancy temperature check machine uh that like took a picture of your face and yeah right uh, that was kind of cool uh and then you had to answer a questionnaire about like your risk factors or whatever uh, and then you got escorted in and you had your own seat that was like 10 or 15 feet away from anyone else. They give you a boxed lunch. Uh, you don't have to, they, they created an atmosphere where you don't have to, you didn't have to interact with anyone if you didn't want to. Uh, they didn't hand out any papers. And I was honestly a little worried going in, but I think if I, whether or not I go to games in the future will be entirely dependent on my schedule, not on like, I'm scared of getting sick. Yeah, the, the procedures were fine. Um, and I think whether that scales up to whatever percentage of fans they ultimately led into the game, that's another issue. Uh, but for the press, you know, for the 30 of us that were there, it, it, there were no issues whatsoever. Uh, you know, I'm not sure where we are in phases in King County. I assume we're still pretty far down on the list. And so I don't know if any games are going to be happening. Uh you know, I, Steve Goff from uh, the Post uh, said that they still haven't even come up with the Phase Two or Phase Three schedule. 
yet uh, because they're having trouble with the Canadian team. So hopefully we'll get that at some point here in the future. So I think there's other issues, uh, notwithstanding trying to find a vaccine uh, that, uh, you know, MLS is, uh, is dealing with. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But as far as for what it was, uh, it worked fine and there were no issues. And I couldn't, I couldn't, and I can't see there being any issues, at least on this small scale. Yeah, I, I, for what it's worth, I'm pretty sure that we're at phase two because I think the state stopped people, stopped counties from moving phases at this point. The, yeah. the, the numbers in King County are, are reasonably encouraging. Um, and, I, and I think it's, you know, I, I, I get the sense that they kind of want to pause this just to see how things, how things escalate once school starts. And my assumption is that getting school restarted is probably above getting people into CenturyLink fields. (laughs) I would hope anyway, Uh, as a parent, I'm really hopeful that one day my kids will be able to attend school in person again. (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, like to the degree that they could create it, I think they they made a decent effort. Um, But yeah, I mean, it just doesn't feel the same when you, and I think all of us were probably somewhat attracted to the Sounders almost if not primarily because of the crowd then like probably a big part like i know for me like the when i moved to seattle the thing that got me really interested in the sounders wasn't so much like the prospect of being able to watch mls in person because i'd done that before but it was like being able to go to an mls game that felt like an event and felt special and uh and i don't think you can really do that with an empty stadium no even the even the sad you know, amount of people in the RSL stadium actually brought a ton of life to that broadcast. Yeah. I was sort of surprised even how, how much it made a difference. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking about that too, because it's like, you know, some fans, or some teams are allowed to have fans and some aren't. Like, I feel like that's got to be a competitive advantage. If you're, I, if you're, I agree. I don't like, think MLS like cares in the least. No, they and, no, and they shouldn't probably, but. Yeah, they, they Maybe they shouldn't, but. I, I definitely agree. Watching the RSL game, I was like, dang, that actually this kind of sounds like a real soccer game there. Well, That's... I mean, I, I just think of those some of those, like, games, those long-ago Champions League games that the Sounders played where there was only, like, 10,000 people there. And, the, and it would still get kind of loud. Like, not, like, deafening, and it wasn't 70,000 people or anything, but it was like, you get into a modern stadium, you don't need that many people to make it feel loud, especially well, if the people that are there really want to be there. And if they're insulting you, it might be even worse. Because I think the Sounders, someone made a bad touch and was, like, instantly jeered by, like, the 15 RSL fans. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, that's personal. It's, I can see your faces. Ladero was flexing on the crowd. After. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I can't hear you. I thought that was hilarious. I was like, well, there's not very many, Ladero. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that's probably a good place to, to call this a show. I really wanted to uh, say... I'm glad we were able to do this and it was good seeing all of you. I haven't, I know I haven't been on this podcast for a while and uh, I know we haven't been on together for a while. So uh, thanks for, for doing this guys. And it was a lot of fun for me and um, hopefully we get to keep talking about good results and, and uh, maybe one of these days we'll actually get into a rhythm of having regular games on a regular basis. Right. Sounds great. That'd be nice. Yeah. All right, well, I'm signing off for uh, for Mickey Turner, Ari Lillianwall, and Casey. Oh, Ooh, it's do now. Yeah, do now. Do now. I was gonna I was gonna say do now, but do now. That's the that's the common one. But do now is more fun. You can make many puns yeah, on that. So I realized Enjoy. I was like I don't think I've ever said his name out loud. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is uh, I'm Jeremiah Shan signing off for the Sounder at Heart podcast, and uh, we'll see you next time.